0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Psalms and we're going to read and meditate upon Psalm 113. So Psalm 113, 113. Psalm 113 thus says the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on a high, on a high, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. In this economy has become one of the great catchphrases of my generation. We so-called millennials often use it to suggest that the state of the economy is too hostile to take part in any given task, even if the task has indeed nothing to do with the economy. The phrase became a thing, as we also say, in a more literal sense, around the 2008, uh, around 2008, during the Great Recession. yet. It continued to grow as in its more figurative sense through the 2010s. For the older folk who may want to connect with younger generations, it is used in this template. X in this economy, where X can be anything you don't want to do or think no one should do. This phrase came to mind to my mind as I reflected on the spirit of Thanksgiving season. Personally, growing up in a country where the weather, the government, the culture, the environment, society, and yes, even the economy, are always in a state of utter chaos, the exercise of being thankful can be quite daunting. Nevertheless, while most of you, I'm sure, are not Brazilian, I believe, I believe similar thoughts could have crossed your mind recently. Be thankful in this economy? I mean, every one of us here, I'm sure, has a very good reason, or a handful of them, we may think, to not be thankful Maybe you are five years old and think you should get an allowance as big as your 10-year-old brother. Perhaps you are already 10 and wish, just wish you could be 16 to start working and then make the really big bucks. Maybe you are already working, but you do it under the crippling weight of student debt. Maybe you quit your student debt already only to replace it with a mortgage. Perhaps the mortgage is already done, but then it's around the time that the health insurance keeps getting more and more expensive, and you wonder why. You start then thinking about your 401k, and you realize that you should have begun thinking about that when you were five years old. And then you look at a calendar. It's 2008, the economy crashes, and you can only think, a market crash in this economy? Today I want to tackle these worries that we all know we all have. I want to look at the idea of giving thanks amid a million reasons not to. Under the perspective of the two seasons, we are right now caught in between. The question can be posed as, how does the Advent season answer the challenges of Thanksgiving? Or perhaps more memorably, what does pumpkin spice have to do with mistletoe? I believe Psalm 113 offers an answer to that. It's a psalm that tells us about God, about who He is, and what He does. It talks about a high and exalted God worthy of praise and a lowly, humble God who cares for those who are hurt the most, all at the same time. In summary, we will see today from Psalm 113 that no one is like our God, exalted in the highest while humble. In a manger. Again, this is what you should take from this text this morning. No one is like our God, exalted in the highest while humble in a manger. We'll see that in two simple points this morning. The first one God's transcendence should make us grateful. We see that in verses one through six God's transcendence should. Make us grateful. Psalm 113 begins, if you take a look, with the same command, the imperative to praise the Lord. You don't need to be an expert in Hebrew to recognize the original words for that command in verses 1 and 9 in the original. It's the Hebrew words, hallelujah. I think you know that one. As we did earlier today in a psalm that begins and ends with hallelujah, the psalm was meant to serve as a call to worship. A call for people to come, to bow themselves before God, to render Him glory and honor. And as an aspect of all of that, if you think about it, to be thankful for who He is, the things He has done. So these. Verses, this entire psalm is what happens between these two hallelujahs. And this entire psalm gives us the reason why. Why should we praise Him? Why should we take up this call to worship and to be thankful? I believe there are two main reasons, which is how this sermon took shape. And that being the case, the first reason we see in verses 1 through 6 the first reason he gives us to praise God is that He is high and exalted, and there is no one like our God. You see, in verse, in verse one, His servants are called to praise Him. Why? Because He is the Lord God who created heavens and earth. He rules supreme over all life and creation. So all life and creation are His servants. And then verse, verses 2 and 3 starts to expand that more and more. They paint for us the width and the breadth of, his, of this praise, now and forevermore, from the sun rising in the east to its setting in the west. For those who have been following the series, sermon series we've been doing in Ezekiel, you're familiar with the idea that God is not a mere local deity of a mere group of tribes in the ancient Near East. no. He is the lord of all time now and eternity and over all space from east to west and all that exists in the between he is supreme over time and space and then for verses 4 and 6 expand that image even more by showing god's power and authority over time and space he is high above all nations Above even the heavens, which is the highest thing we can think of, he is high above the limits of creation. There, exalted in the highest, he sits on a throne, and he is so highly exalted on that throne. We see this in verse 6 that just to merely look down on heavens and earth, he has to stoop down. He's way above what we can only imagine the universe is as its limits and while many of us grew up thinking about this idea of going god being high means that he is the man upstairs as if he's just sort of above in a different dimension that not even James Webb telescope could capture the idea here is a little bit of that but even broader The idea here comes from our first Scrabble-winning word of the day, God's transcendence. This attribute, this characteristic of God, means that he is far above the created reality in all aspects. As we confessed earlier today, he is eternal, incomprehensible, incomprehensible. Invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty. This is the God we are called to praise. Yet in verse 5, the psalmist makes a bold claim about this God. When asking who is like this God, he quickly adds, The Lord, our God because he is an active God who calls for himself a people to serve and to worship him, we can then proceed, go back to our confession of faith this morning and proceed and complete it with faith that we can say the high and exalted God is also completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. He is our God. So that means that he is life without beginning or end, and then he's the source of all life. We live and move in him and through him. Yes, he is all wise, untaught, and untrained, but he's also an infinite source of wisdom for all who seek him. His love is eternal, everlasting, and steadfast, And it is always overflowing over us, uniting us to one another and to him. He is holy and just. That means he sustains the righteous. He punishes the wicked. His power is unlimited. Every other power or authority derives from his This high God, in summary, says one commentator, is our supreme good, good, our supreme sweetness, our supreme reason for praise. Or at least, He should be. And this is where it gets tricky. Because if we're honest with ourselves, Many times he isn't that for us, is he? The picture of God as a high king seated above everything that exists over time and space of whom we can say our God should bring bring us always to worship, to praise, to thanksgiving. Yet because we insist on looking down on searching under the sun for something to give our lives meaning and security we constantly feel hopeless and helpless in the great words of one of your prophets American writer David Foster Wallace if you worship money and things if they are where you tap real meaning in life then you will never feel you have enough Worship your body and beauty, and you will always feel ugly. When time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and you end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need even more power over others to numb you to your own fear of losing your power. Worship your intellect, he concludes, being seen as smart, and you end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Or as we millennials call it, the imposter syndrome. The good news for us today is that this morning, Psalm 113 provides us with an alternative to all of that. Because only the one God who is rich beyond measure can provide for all your needs and give you the bread that you daily need. Only in the eternal and living God we can find value and worth even when our bodies begin to show the first signs of age. Only in the Almighty we can find relief from our anxieties for He is way more powerful than any enemy we could face. Only the infinite wisdom of God can calm our insecurity in the face of the many things in this world that we simply do not understand. We can rest in the fact that He does. Look for value, worth, and security anywhere else and you will fail miserably. Let me give you one simple, personal example of how this plays out in real life. Not many of you know that I have a very rational fear of flying. (laughs) Yes, it is rational because I believe we humans were never meant to fly. That's why you have legs and not wings, but I digress. Talking with Mari, my wife, the other day, about this rational fear. I realized that this fear mostly comes from a perceived lack of control. When I'm driving, for example, I can choose where to go, at which speed, and when and where and how fast to stop. When I'm in a plane, I'm just praying that the captain knows what he is doing. And this rationale, as you think about it, implies that when I'm wandering about in this dusty earth with my foot on the gas pedal, I seem to have total control of life, right? That's what it implies. I have control over my life, over the life of others, over time and space, over my fate, which you know I don't. What I need then is to recognize that it is God who is in control of both airplanes and cars and be grateful that He cares for me wherever I go until the day He calls me home. As a singer once said, we are immortal until He calls us home. Otherwise, the alternative if we really base our fears and anxieties on what we think we can control, we shouldn't be able to live, leave our beds in the morning. So this morning, Psalm 113, reminds us that a supreme ruler, an infinite, all-powerful, loving, and wise God who reigns on high is there. God's transcendence as theologians call it, indeed should make us grateful because it means He is in control of everything, the things we think we can control and the things that we desperately know we can't control, the things we think we understand and those that we have not even a chance of trying to understand. But wait, there's more. Psalm 113 gives us a second reason to be grateful, which leads to our second and final point this morning. God's imminence should, always, should also make us grateful. And we see that in verses 6 through 9. God's imminence, with two Ms, if you're taking notes, should also make us grateful. The attentive hearer, probably the ones taking notes, Notice that verse 6 features in both points. It was 1 through 6 and then 6 through 9. It does so because this verse provides, provides for us a hinge on which the psalm turns and now speaks about God's imminence, our second big theological word for the day. God's imminence refers to his existence within the world he created. So to illustrate it, if his transcendence means that he's an artisan outside of the tapestry of reality, in his imminence, he is God with us, weaving each strand of reality with his hands, controlling every aspect of the process, knitting history with his fingers. So we see, that's what we see in verse 6. He reigns on high, yes, but he also stoops down and he looks far down on heaven and earth. Not to admire it from afar, I did this and it's really good, but to be present and active in every aspect of life. In summary, according to Psalm 113, says Dr. Scott Swain, the high God, is also a humble God. And then the beauty of this reality in the psalm comes to the front when we see how God intervenes in his creation, according to the psalm. Because when he looks from above, he sees the poor who lies in the dust. He sees the needy who sits in the ash heap. The barren woman who lacks a home and seems to have nothing good to contribute because of her lack of children. When he looks down, he looks as down as possible. But God's servants, as is the theme of this psalm, are called to praise him and to be thankful Because the high and exalted God does not shy away from associating with the unworthy, with the outcast members of society who have nothing to contribute for the greater good. He is praiseworthy, the psalmist is telling us, because he looks upon them, he comes to them, and he becomes, as we said earlier, their supreme good, their supreme sweetness, and their supreme reason for praise. And we see that in the way the psalm describes not only God's attention over the lowly, but His saving action for them. Because He looks at the poor, but He lifts the poor. He lifts up the needy and sits them with princes. He puts the barren woman in a household full of children. Dr. Swain again, the Lord delivers the lowly from their lowly condition, enthrones them in positions of dignity, and fills them with joy. And you look at the history of this God in scripture, and you realize this is the Lord who raised Joseph from the Egyptian jail. And Esther from a life of cultural assimilation and makes them sit with princes and kings. This is the Lord who looks to Naomi, who hears the cries of Hannah and gives them children, puts them in the household of the people of God. What better reason would anyone need to praise Him and to be thankful? Who is like this God? And as you read the psalm, you start to realize that no one is like this God. And this, of course, is where you start to sense the smell of mistletoe in the air. Yet, a robust and stingy hint of animal food in a feeding trough is also mixed in that smell. Because it was in a cattle stall some 2,000 years ago that the glory of the living God, supreme and incomprehensible, took the form of a helpless, crying baby. The artisan weaved himself into the picture of this world. So as we begin to celebrate the Advent and the Christmas seasons, we come to realize that the biggest stooping down of all times happened when Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, took the form of a servant, and was born in the likeness of you and me to quote the Apostle Paul. You see, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the birth of the Son of God, the high and eternal God, was found crawling in the dusty roads of this earth. The infant babe, as we'll sing in a minute, who was also the Lord of us all at the same time. In the incarnation, the high and exalted God was found within time, space, and even within power constraints. He was born and he depended on Mary, his mother, for nursing. He depended on Joseph, his father, for protection when his life was threatened by a mad king. And yes, he was God, even in this economy When he had to pay taxes like you and me when he was a grown-up. Because he is the reason for the season of Christmas. What we need to understand today is that he is also the reason for the season of Thanksgiving. Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the ultimate way the high and humble God looks upon us in our current fears and anxieties Right now, by his word and his sacraments through his spirit, God raises us up to him and sits us with him in the heavenly places, as we read in Ephesians. And then we see that as he unites us to himself, he plants us in his household. And then he gives us in this room right now fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers, nieces and nephews in the faith. And then he uses us as his hands and feet to care for those who hunger and thirst, those who lack everything and can pay anything in return. This is what he does for us. The good news of the gospel in Psalm 113 should make us want to praise him for coming to us and be thankful for everything that he did and does for us. Because when we couldn't go to him, because he was out of reach due to our sin and rebellion, for our insistence on praising created things instead of the Creator, he came. To us, You see, we are the lowly and the poor and the barren in this story. Most of our frustration with this world coming from thinking we are more exalted than we actually are. And thinking that sometimes the answer to who is a God like our God is, well, I can be like him sometimes because I'm very smart or I'm very rich or I'm very powerful. Jesus talked about that himself when he said that he came for those who are sick. Since the proud and the healthy and the wise in their own eyes couldn't see their need for him. Is that you this morning? He stooped low to identify with us. And in his death, resurrection, and ascension back to the Father, he brings his people back up with him to the presence of the high and exalted King of the universe. Not because we deserve it, but because he promised to do it for the sake of his love for his people and his servants. Then, while we wait for his second coming, we become His incarnate message to this world as we feed the poor, clothe the needy, and receive strangers and outsiders into our family at our tables. Not because they deserve or have anything to offer to us, but because of the same divine love that unites us to Him and to one another. I know for now, for some time, or for most of us, for most of the time, we still sit on this dusty earth with a taste of ashes in our mouths, feeling barren and unproductive, feeling alone, feeling limited in what we can do for one another, for God, and for this world. Yet this morning, we remember that the God who came to us is the exalted supreme God who rules over us and who is the overflowing source of wisdom, power, love, and justice. And he freely gives those to those who seek him because he freely gave us himself for us. Today, you can be thankful because he knows what he's doing. He feels, this, feels in the scars of his hands, on his hands and feet, the pains you feel. And you can praise him for he will come one more time to be with his people forever. Then, on that day, With thanksgiving overflowing from our hearts and lips, we will join a multitude of saints from all times and all space to sing him a mighty and everlasting Hallelujah. Let us pray. Eternal and ever loving God, our Lord, our Lord, and Master, be your help and aid today and forever. Save those among us who are in tribulation. Have mercy on the lowly. Lift up the falling. Show yourself unto the needy. Heal the hurting. Convert the wanderers of your people. Feed the hungry. Release our prisoners. Raise up the weak. Comfort the faint-hearted. Let all peoples know that you are God alone, and Jesus Christ is your Son, and we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our God, that we pray, and together we say, Amen.